Hello and welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by WhoScored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Ben from WhoScored and Jonathan Wilson is with us as always as well. We're here to look forward to yet another Premier League weekend, all sorts going on as well in the managerial world. So obviously we're going to talk about that as well. But Ben, we're going to start with a Premier League midweek best 11 Hit us up, please. Yep, so we had the six games in midweek. Uh, in goal, we've got Jason Steele, uh, back four of Kieran Trippier, Fabian Scher, uh, Wesley Fafana and Purvis Estupinian. Midfield four of Jack Harrison, Joe Ellington, Bruno Guimaraes and Luis Sinistero. And up front, Callum Wilson and Aston Villa goal machine, Ollie Watkins, which I'm sure you'd be thrilled to hear about, Dan. I mean, I'm starting to worry that Villa on great form again weren't going to have anyone in, in the team of the week. We couldn't get anyone in the team of the month and I thought then we were going to have another another time with nobody in the team of the week. But Ollie Watkins is on absolute fire at, at the moment. Everything he touch turns to goals. Jonathan, any disagreements with the team of the week there? Or I imagine it's going to be fine. No, it's fine. I mean, uh, I guess the interesting player is Jason Steele. Uh, when I saw his, I don't know, was it 17, 18 games to Sunderland? In the yes. relegation season, I was not, not expecting him to be a uh, leading Premier League goalkeeper anytime soon. So, you know, all, all credit to him for, for turning that around, and he has been excellent. And, and it's interesting that, you know, he, he's he deserves seems to favour him because he's better with his feet than, than Sanchez. Um, and, you know, he got the assist obviously the weekend, and he's playing really well at the minute. So, uh, good for him. I don't think your microphone's on, Jonathan. It is odd, it's just over here. <laughs> a great start there to the, to the podcast, Jonathan. I mean, to be fair, it is 8, 8 a.m. Well, now Jonathan has his mic in the right place. We're able to continue the podcast with the normal audio quality that is provided on Edge of the Box. And first, we're going to look at Liverpool-Arsenal massive game this weekend. I'm reading here that Arsenal don't have a good record at Anfield, Jonathan. Could that potentially hurt them in midweek or at the moment, the way Liverpool are and the way Arsenal are? Does it really not matter at all? Liverpool clearly are much, much better at home than they are away at the moment. Um, Arsenal obviously are playing much better than Liverpool. But I, I think I think grounds where you don't play well can get in the team's head. And we know that, that Arteta is very aware of that because of um, that detail we saw in the All or Nothing documentary last season where you know, he was playing... Uh, crowd sounds of you never walk alone over training to try and get the players used to it and it, it didn't work then so it, if, if Arsenal score early on then I'm sure it won't be an issue but if Liverpool hold them out or Liverpool get an early goal then, then it, it might just sort of add a little bit more weight to the scales so you know I, I sort of I sort of fall between two stools on these the, these stats like, clearly it, it, it doesn't matter that Arsenal haven't won this since 2012 but on the other hand if we talk about it and players are aware of that, and there's enough players who've been at Arsenal for a few years who who will remember poor results and poor performances at, at Anfield, that it, if things start poorly, then then, then maybe that, that 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 can get in their heads. I mean, Ben, you'll obviously be really hoping that this 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 curse at Anfield does continue, but Arsenal do have the best away record in the league this season. Every, I mean, it feels like they've only just been made favourites to, to win the league in, in, in large quarters, but they're, they're going so well. They're, they've got the momentum, haven't they? And, and at the moment, the, the way Liverpool are, I can't imagine Mikel Arteta is going to have to play or never walk alone in training. I mean, he, he wants to just to, you know, make it as sort of a joke or jovial sort of thing about how poor Liverpool have been this season. Um, yeah, I mean, Arsenal collected 34 points in their away games this season, which, as you say, is the best in the Premier League. Um 
and obviously you know the historical side of things can come into uh into play here uh you know affect affect players mentally but Arsenal has been so good this season Liverpool yes better at home but haven't been great so I can't really see it being that much of an issue for Arsenal no, and Gabriel Jesus is is back Jonathan when he was injured in in the World Cup, everyone was talking about that as being something that was really going to affect Arsenal and, and deal, derail them. They've had one sticky patch maybe in the time that he's been out, but actually having him to come back in now, that might be a decent player to have in the title race as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the fact he's experienced that, uh, the fact you know, he's, he's played huge games for Brazil. He's not going to be phased by running in... I mean, there's been no evidence of the younger players at Arsenal being phased yet, but but it's it's good to have that experience there. And the fact they, they now have, with all due respect to Eddie and Ketty, four really high-quality forwards going for those three places. And it's difficult to know, um, you know who, who who gets left out with you know, Trossard coming in and, what is it, seven assists already? Um, has played brilliantly. Martinelli had a little bit of a dip, I think, probably January time, but he he looks back to something near his best. Uh, Saka obviously is a brilliant footballer, and and Jesus as well. So they can perm three from those four, and uh, that, that that that's that gives them cover in an area where they previously didn't have cover. Yeah, they've got Smith Rowe back as well, so suddenly they've got plenty of options for those front three positions. And we saw Saka was rotated last week, Jonathan. So like you say. It'll enable them to rest people from week to week as well. Now I don't imagine they'll do it on um, against Liverpool at the weekend. So actually, it'll be interesting to see what he thinks his his first choice eleven is. He always first choice front three. Yeah, I mean, my guess is Trossard is the man who misses out partly because off the bench he he can put, he can play anywhere across that front line. I mean, obviously, would favour the left or the middle, but that would be my my instinct. I think. You, you look at the direct matchup as well. So, assuming Alexander Arnold comes back for, for Liverpool at right back to get Martinelli's direct running at him, I, I think would seem a logical matchup rather yeah. than Trossard sort of just sort of floating off him. But, you know, the, the, the way you, you attack that space is with something a bit quick, a bit more direct. Um, maybe you leave Jesus out and have him to go off the bench and play Trossard through the middle. But, you know, it's it's good that Arsenal have those options because earlier in the season they didn't. And that, that was the big, the big question mark we all. We all had about the about how sustainable this title run was. I still think, I, I now think having Arsenal having not really been fancied enough, I now feel they're being slightly over fancied. I, I still think City are favourites. Do you? Well, that that eight point lead isn't isn't as big as it seems. If, if I mean the big game, I mean this is an obvious thing to say, but the big game is that game at the Etihad, and if City win that, and they win the game in hand, then stand two points to lead. City's goal difference. Is, well, would be better, and it's. It's. I think it's what within two at the minute. But if they win that extra game, the game in hand, they will have clearly the better goal difference. So that leaves Arsenal having to win the other eight games they've got, and they've got some tricky games. I mean, Anfield is a, is a tricky game. They've got to go to Newcastle. They've got Chelsea at home. You know, they, they've got some tough games in that nine. City's running. I think it's slightly easier. I can see. I mean, yeah, maybe City do drop points, but I think it's possible that City win. Uh, ten. They got ten, haven't they? So the City win ten out of ten, and then Arsenal have to win eight out of nine. That's really hard. And Arsenal could easily finish up with, yeah, you know, ninety, ninety-two points and not win the league. And that's not a failure on their part, although it would no. feel like a terrible blow having been in this position. I guess Man City have got the Champions League as well. We don't know how heavy they'll go looking for that. That that's the one they seem to seem to really want. I, I still think they'd sacrifice 
the league for the for the Champions League. That that's the one Pep really wants, isn't it? I mean, I think that that is true, but I also think they've got a squad to to deal with. I mean, you know, it's, it's not that many games, is it? They've got ten in the league, two in the cup, and potentially five in the Champions League. But the Champions League final is not till the middle of June. They've got plenty of time. You know, it's, it's, they're not that. For, you know, the end of the season isn't quite as rammed in as as, as it as it might be. So, and you know, if you can leave Holland out and bring in Alvarez, they've got a great squad. You have the fact that you're picking Grealish or Foden. You know, it's a City squad can if anybody's squad can cope with it. City squad can. So, yeah, it it, it does make a difference. Arsenal effectively played half as many games, but don't make don't think it makes that much difference. I mean, I'm preparing to make myself look silly on the internet here, which is always a dangerous thing to do. But, you know, without Arsenal squad's not that big. Man City squad's, and this is going to sound really stupid, it's not massive. Arguably, it's, they've got lesser t- in terms of uh, of numbers. For example, Rodri has to play every week because he doesn't seem to fancy Calvin Phillips. I'd say maybe potentially Arsenal have more options in terms of squad depth. I'm not saying squad quality. But depth-wise, I'd say Arsenal have probably got a little bit more. Man City don't, don't have as, ma- as many numbers other than at the back. And even then, they've got no left-back than what people think, I don't think. Oh, I, I don't know about that. I mean, there's certain areas Did where... on the internet. There's certain areas where they're, they're, they're short, left-back clearly being one of them. But Akanji can play there, Ake can play there. They, they, they've got options there. Uh, the fact they've got Rico Lewis, who came into the squad and has sort of drifted away again to play at right-back if they want him, plus Walker, plus Stones... The, you know, Rodri, yes, but they've got a player. How much do they pay for Calvin Phillips? Six, 50, 60 million, something like that? Around that. So they've, they've got a backup they paid, you know, 50 million pound plus for. I mean, you know, he's still a regular England national. Oh, he's a good player. At least he wants to pick him. So, you know, I, I don't think, you know, in a pinch, Gundogan can play there. So, yeah, I still think City squad is significantly. Deeper and stronger than Arsenal's. Well, I'm preparing myself for all kinds of abuse on on Twitter and whatnot today. Anyway, after, after saying what I've said, I, I think if you look at it, though, depth wise, they they don't have huge numbers, Manchester City. But yeah, we'll we'll move away move away from that topic because I'm wary that I could get bullied later on on the internet. As as I said, Ben, you're making the argument that Trossard has been the signing of the season. No, I'm saying you potentially it was it's not you and it too scored. But who scored are making the argument for Trossard being the signing of the season? Uh, that was me. I, I, I mean, obviously you've got Haaland and Jesus and Zinchenko as well, the obvious ones. But as you mentioned, Arsenal went through that sticky patch uh, earlier in the year between Trossard signing and Trossard coming to the level where they dropped points against Brentford, dropped points against Everton and Man City. Uh, then Trossard came into the starting eleven, and they've won seven from seven in um, the games he started. And Inketi is not a bad forward to call upon uh, as a backup, but... When he wasn't there, they lacked that mobility and that fluidity in the final third. Um, with Trossard leading the line, he kind of drifts across the front three, similar to Jesus, and that gives Martinelli the space to really exploit that space uh, that's vacated by Trossard. And it's no coincidence that Martinelli's goal return improved once again uh, once Trossard came to the side. So if Arsenal do win the league, there is a very sound argument to make that Trossard has been the signing of the season, in my opinion. You're having that, Jonathan. Let's forget what I said again about Manchester City and turn on who scored instead. Can, can a January signing be the signing of the season when Haaland scored 127 goals? <laughs> well, and Zinchenko has had a brilliant season, has clearly been a huge part of Arsenal's success. Trossard, I think... Hang on, let me... Yeah, I think Trossard has, without question, been the best January signing. 
I, yeah, I guess you just it. have you have different expectations for summer signings and January signings. Um, he'd be in the conversation for for best signing of the season, I guess. He's definitely in the sort of top 10, top 20, but top January signing, absolutely. Can you, in terms of signing of the season then, uh, we'll take Haaland out of it because, like I say, he scored 127 goals. Who, who well, would across the rest of the a, Premier League has been the signing of the season? Why take him out of it? I don't, I don't think there's convincing evidence yet he's made City better. I just think when you've scored the volume of goals that he's yeah, scored but, but, the but Jans, and you look at the price... Yeah, but there's a possibility that um, City end up with a poorer goal difference this season and last season, despite his goals. Yeah. Uh, so if you've destabilised the side, I mean, destabilised is is, is is far too strong a word, but if if your presence is is uh, you know slightly diminished the the effect of running of the rest of the side, no matter how well you personally have done, can you be said to be the signing of the season? I'm, I'm not sure. So yeah, you know, Holland clearly is in the conversations. Inchenko I think is in the conversation. Um, I think Saliba would have been. Well, is he really a signing? I guess he's just no. You can't have that. You can't have that. You can't make all these rules and then throw in Saliba. Yeah, no, we don't yeah. have that. I think Dan's just waiting for Bubakar Kamara to come up. Bubakar Kamara's been excellent. On a um, he's a good <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, uh, yeah, a holding midfielder for a mid-table side, but you know, he's he's done well. I think you're, I think you're pushing for Europe, Jonathan. <laughs> We'll see. Come the end of the season. Um, I mean, nobody at Tottenham, clearly. Uh, Casemiro. I mean, I know he's <laughs> he's hardly played, but when he has been there, he's been excellent. Eriksson's been excellent for Manchester United. Um, uh, Martinez, Manchester United. Um, I'm sorry, just going through club by club now. I'm struggling uh, to be honest to come up with anyone. We have Jao Paulinho as well. Jao Paulinho. Oh, yeah. Of course, yeah. it's, it's Jao Paulinho. Of course it is. That's the answer. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's definitely in that top ten, isn't he? So uh, there's not clearly nobody at Liverpool. Um, uh, Matoma, did he come in the summer? Or was he already there? Yeah, uh, he's, he was on loan, I think, at, in Belgium. Oh, was he? I think I think he was already on Brighton's book. But he was on loan. It's a labourish. I don't know that we can have that. And and the same with Casado. That okay, they they may technically have been signed earlier. But yeah, they, they've made a massive impact this season. Um, oh, there's lots of players. Yeah, unlucky Chelsea, you've signed 127 players. <laughs> yeah. not, one your, not, not one, not one of your players has, has made the conversation. Is there, is there, a, is there a table for that, Ben? Or have I misread? Uh, for the signings, no. I just yeah. did a bit of Trossard. Focus on Trossard. Um, I was going to sort of mention as well about whether he drops out or not. Um, his best rate of performance actually came at Anfield earlier in the season when he scored a hat-trick at Liverpool. So he does have uh, previous Anfield. So there's an argument there for him to start this weekend. Okay, we did go on a huge deviation from what we were supposed to be talking about there. In fact, uh, well, that's, that's just edge of the box. That's just I, I, take it fun. I take responsibility for that. I was antsy about what <laughs> I'd said about, about Manchester City and was looking for someone else to say something controversial, but it didn't really come. Um, what have we got next then? Saliba's absent, Jonathan. So Rob Holding's getting some, some football. Look, Arsenal never keep a clean sheet. I, I, I don't know whether anyone knows the record for that, but they don't seem to be keeping many clean sheets. Uh, I'm not blaming that entirely on, on Rob Holding. I think it was happening with Saliba as well, but Saliba, Rob Holding, evidently there's a, there's a drop-off there. There is. I, I think Saliba's not been as... You know, he had an excellent start of the season. Then you know, he got bullied by Ivan Tony against Brentford. And I, I sort of feel that opposing forwards feel they can bully him physically now, which is not a good thing. Um I mean, against this Liverpool attack, 
I don't know. This Liverpool attack is such a weird thing that you know we can put seven past Manchester United and look completely toothless. I mean, if they've they scored what one in one in four since the seven nil, so it's, it's it's difficult to know how much threat he'll be under. But you could have imagined Darwin Nunez sort of getting at Saliba, um, holding. I guess maybe the physical side of the game, obviously not as good a player with Saliba, but maybe the physical side that that suits him a little bit more. Um, so yeah, I think it is a it is a drop off. I don't I don't know how huge a drop off that is but I, I suspect this game will be decided in midfield anyway I think think that that sort of matchup a Liverpool forward line against Arsenal defence is a, is a secondary issue after the after the midfield oh, it's a lovely little segue into the next segment there Jonathan Ex- excellent work there Ben we've got, gra- we got a graphic haven't we Thiago potentially return for, for Liverpool but not many weeks have gone by talking about Liverpool where you're not talking about their midfield and, and how it needs a refresh the fact that he's still relying heavily on Fabinho, Henderson and uh, even James Milner at times is just speaks volumes of poor uh, planning by Liverpool as a whole. Um, obviously, it's not really Klopp's fault. He's going to use what he's got uh, at his disposal. And, you know, I feel like this summer they're going to go big on bringing in a new midfielder, hopefully for them and for, uh, for Klopp that Thiago is back this weekend just to give him that little boost in midfield. But... Then his worst rate display of the season did come in the reverse fixture against Arsenal. We've got who scored a rating of 5.79. So uh, if he comes back in, he's not going to be lacking the fit. He's going to be lacking match fitness, sorry. And, you know, there's a possibility that he will struggle once more. It's combined 11 time now, my favourite part of the show, where Jonathan <laughs> just picks an 11 from the from the team that's doing the best at the time. Is, is that what you've done this week, Jonathan? Yeah, mainly. Yeah, I've got, I've got nine Arsenal players. Who who are the two Liverpool? I've gone gone Allison and Goal still, um, okay. and I've gone. I know he may not be fit. I accept, but Van Dyke ahead of Holding. I mean, if Saliba were fit, I'd be Saliba and Gabriel. But I've gone Van Dyke alongside Gabriel in the middle. What's your um, Arsenal front three? See, I, I I need to know who I'm playing against before I pick that. Who am I playing against? So where's the why? Um, Ben's eleven, I would guess in a in you know in a weird world where you could allow the same players. Uh, okay, so against White, do I want Trossard, Martinelli? I think I probably want Trossard against White. Okay. So I've got Saka, Jesus and Trossard. Ben, who scored? Oh, we don't have Ben White, so that throws a spanner in the works already. Well, All right, I want Martinelli yeah. against Alexander-Arnold. Unless you've gone for Tommy Yassi. Don't, please don't tell no, me. No, 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 Trent no. Alexander-Arnold directly. Trent Alexander is the right back in the team in our combined 11. <sighs> well, the rating system dictated that it's actually a 4-4-2, so... A system neither side plays, but we'll cram those attacking players in. So we've got Alisson in goal, Alexander Arnold at right back, Gabriel Van Dijk at centre back, and Zinchenko at left back. Uh, Saka, Erdegaard, Party, Martinelli, and that front is Jesus and Trossard. I mean, we still could have we could, we could have played a proper formation there. I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure with the with the personnel. Yeah, could have that, that you've you've picked, but I mean the algorithm just does it just chuck out four four two? Is Mike Bassett in charge yeah. of the algorithm? And he just tells you <laughs> you must play four four two, even if no team plays it. Just noted on the back of a fag packet. Um, no, it was uh, Trossard's rating is a combination of both Arsenal and Brighton. Um, okay. So Arsenal's rating is his Arsenal rating is much better than Brighton, but obviously you combine the two, it's a seven point zero four. Uh, he's been playing up front. Or he's played up. Five or seven starts for Arsenal have been up front. So, uh, yeah, we'd stuck him up front alongside Jesus. My team would win. I'm, I believe you. I'm, 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 I'm with you. I, th- I think it would. I think, you, I think your team would win. If we've actually got a middle of midfield, which that team hasn't. It's got party and nobody else. So. Yeah, Erdogan playing in two. Not sure about yeah. that, who scored. 
but I love I love you, who's good. Please continue to employ me. I'm not. I'm not no, we'll, go. we'll just. I, I, we'll I, just... I, am having a, I say I'm not having a go. I absolutely am having a go. <laughs> <laughs> What's that called, Jonathan? Soon, so that'll be fine. Mm, yeah, he's got to get the ball. He can't yeah, score we'll goals and have a ball. Yeah, we'll get the, get the ball. Party. Party be I mean, butter. You're hoping yeah. it long to Jesus and Trossard against Gabriel and Van Dyke. Well, good, good luck with that. Yeah, put him behind. Van Dyke hasn't looked as good. Well, Alisson and... coming off his line, mopping up, I'll be fine. No, we'll not, be, not worried. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. Be, I mean, if we, don't, if we don't win this four or five, I'll be disappointed. Yeah, <laughs> I'd back you. I'd back you all the way there, Jonathan, with your team. Let's finish this segment with our score predictions. Then, even though as I've said in previous weeks, they're now absolutely meaningless. Ben, I'll let you go <laughs> first. What's the, what's your score prediction for this one? Uh, I think Liverpool will give Arsenal run for the money, but I think Arsenal have what it takes to get the win. So I think Arsenal win two one. Two one, Jonathan. Uh, one one. I think this is Liverpool's revenge for the four four when Ashavin scored the four in the running in two thousand seven eight. Was that? Yeah, I'd go with yeah. around, around between two thousand seven and two thousand nine. I'd go anyway. Yeah, I was, I was I was definitely at that game. I remember it, but uh, yeah. So, yeah, Liverpool's chance to, to mess up for Arsenal, but Arsenal messed up for them. No, I do do another Premier League podcast, and I predicted Liverpool to win. So, I think I'm going to stick with that. I've got sometimes at Anfield, Liverpool beat Man City earlier on in the season, 1 0. I might just go for Liverpool to pull a 1 0 out of absolutely nowhere. But my prediction's meaningless. It doesn't matter at all. Anyway, <laughs> what I say, it's not going to be remembered next week because we've got no league table anymore. Let's look now at Tottenham against Brighton. The Bobby's a Mora Derby. Ben, as a Tottenham fan, I don't think we've had you on since <clears throat> the old Conte debacle. Was he right? A Spurs not a serious team? Yeah, the, he wasn't wrong. Uh, absolutely. The problem is that he basically went, lads, it's Tottenham as Tottenham head coach, which is a big no-no. Um, I mean, you look at how Tottenham played against Everton. I didn't even watch that game, but he just kind of knew what was going to happen as soon as Tottenham did you choose? Up. Did you choose not to watch it? Or you said it I watched up, the I first half, so I was watching dinner. So if you're, because you're not allowed to watch football two days running, are you? We found this out. So does that count? Uh, or oh, yeah. you only watch half a game? Maybe uh, only watched yeah. half of a game the day before as well. <laughs> uh, I watched. I actually watched two games on Sunday, so that was that was quite nice. Or was it two Can't, games? No, I watched, I watched one and a half games on Sunday, so... Uh, I think Conte would say, I think Conte would say you're not a serious man. Just watching, just watching, watching the one half bit. I, I chose to watch Lovers Blind instead of the second half of the Tottenham game. Which I don't admit things like that. No, uh, Lovers Blind is a sensational program. Never watched it. Anyway, it was better, better than I've never heard Tottenham. of it. What a, do I want to know? Probably don't. Do I? I'd have been very shocked if Jonathan had turned around and said, oh, yeah, I'll watch that. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been absolutely shocked. Discussing, God, the, uh, discussing the people on there and talking about how love is actually blind. Anyway, Tottenham, you sort of realise once they went one nil up, uh, you're playing against 10 men. You then, I think they had about 20% possession when they went uh, when they had that numerical advantage. Then Lucas Moura gets sent, got sent off and Michael Keane could have that shot 99 times out of 100 and hit Rose Edge. And then he just goes no, he, he does it in training all the time. That's what he said. That was what he said. He sounded yeah, like he was being serious as well in that post match when he said that. If there's not proof, then I don't believe it. Uh, and <clears throat> you know, just it's a huge point for Everton, so fair play to them. But for Tottenham, it's just there's going to be more than a manager change is going to fix these issues. They need a big, not necessarily hard reset, but they do need someone to come in and just get rid of some of that dead wood. The likes of Eric Dyer, Ben Davies, as loyal as they have been to the club. You would like to put Ben Davies in World Elevens and in, in during during oh, the World Cup. That was you. Well, you 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 were backing it heavily <laughs> when I, I 
I, I, I was putting a different Davis in at left back. I was putting Alfonso Davis in my team in my world eleven at left back. <laughs> but you were all for Ben Davis going in there at that at that point. I think recall. he's solid, solid for Wales, but <clears throat> uh, for a Tottenham team that has you know these high aspirations, I don't think he's good enough. I don't. I, don't, I wonder whether he'll be there next season with um, Destiny Dogi coming back on loan from Udinese. It's just Tottenham, as I said, Tottenham need more than a manager change to fix these issues. There's issues that run from the top to the bottom. There's a huge disconnect between the club and the fan base, and it's going to take more than this sort of big summer transfer window to fix these issues. You're looking at a sort of two, three-year cycle for them to kind of get back to where they believe they should be, which is nowhere near the title, but realistically challenging for top four. Um so it, it kind of ultimately depends who they come in as manager, but they're going to have to be backed properly and given the chance to really stamp their authority on the squad. Yeah, they went with a kind of win-now appointment with Antonio Conte, but I guess when he doesn't win now, it just all feels like a like disarray for Spurs, playing to get up against Deserby this weekend. <clears throat> potentially the kind of manager that they need, but I've got to be honest, if I was Deserby, I'd stay put. Yeah. Um, I mean, Brighton are doing so well, and the the structure is so good there. Why why risk that? I, I, I guess if you deserve the, the danger is this opportunity doesn't come along again. That, that Brighton fall away next season, which you know with probably European football, it is possible that puts too much strain on the squad. It's you know that's not a method that's been stress tested against European football. Um, and I, I guess Tottenham could pay him a lot more than Brighton can pay him. But but yeah, the minute you would say Brighton is the the more attractive package. Um, but you do look at Tottenham, you do look at the the stadium, you do look at the facilities, um, and it, you know if you had assurances about what revenue there'd be to 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 bring in new players, maybe maybe that does look more attractive. Um, but uh, but yeah, de- definitely at the minute Brighton feels the well, feel Brighton is the better run club. There's no no question. But yeah, I mean to Tottenham. I think what, where they've gone wrong with both Mourinho and Conte, and I actually thought Conte was a, was a good appointment, but it, it was as if um, Daniel Levy looked at the stadium and said, we are now a big club, therefore we need a big manager. Um, I think it's telling that both with Mourinho and with Conte, they were managers they'd been for before, failed to get, and then subsequently went for them as if they were proving a point. And what they actually need is to, to highlight or, or to identify... A figure who is as Pochettino was in 2014. They need a, a promising young manager on the way up, and I think that's the the difficulty for all those clubs in that top seven or you know, wherever you want to draw the line. That it's very easy to go out and get the big name, but big names by the time they become big names are often their ideas are, are not quite cutting edge. They're on the way down. They've lost a little bit of that hunger. Uh, the danger is that, like Mourinho and Conte, they they, they both sort of give the sense they're doing Tottenham a favour by being there. They need that young, hungry manager on the way up, and, and Deserby is that. So I, I can see why he would be attractive. Am I right in thinking that Spurs are the only team that Conte and Mourinho haven't won trophies with? Is that correct, Ben? Yeah, sounds about right. I mean, it's yeah. very Spursy, isn't it? I mean, yeah, Mourinho did what? have his chance. It was sacked a week before the Carabao Cup final. I Conte surely didn't win anything with Siena, did he? Let's not count that. Let's not count that. This is yeah, the general point. Not... The general point's good. <laughs> Should that have been in yeah. the... I, I, Mourinho the definitely didn't win it because he was at Benfica for like two months or something. So he definitely didn't win it with Benfica. I mean, where was really? he before? He was, was at... Say, was um, going, for, going for four seasons. 
Um, he was a what was his first club in Portugal? Small club in Portugal. He didn't win anything there. I think he finished, they finished sixth or seventh. I'm trying to think, um, there's not one that point to stand. He's made it quite no. clear. Generally, <laughs> do, you, do you say why? Okay, What's it, what was his first club called? Come on, I should know this. I don't know. Uh, uh, let's see what Google no, says. Google let me down with Ivan Tony's height. So, uh, Unia de Leira. No, I didn't. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he didn't win a title there. Okay, but let's okay in the last ten to fifteen. No, let's say the last <laughs> decade. Then that Conte and Mourinho have won trophies pretty much everywhere that they've been, but they haven't with Spurs. Like, but like, I mean, is this this is something wrong with Spurs? Even when they were really good under Poch, they didn't win a trophy. I mean, you could make the argument that it was down to inexperience, and then they wanted to get the proven winner. That didn't help because you know the. Both managers went back properly and famously know that Conte wants the investment and the backing from the board to I can't, win I don't things. Conte can, I don't and... think Conte can throw that card. I, re- I really don't. Is Perisic not his signing? Yeah. Perisic was, but he was on a free. So uh, yeah, He was on big wages, but was also signed on a free. We, we did shows in the summer <coughs> and we were all saying Spurs and Arsenal have had, had brilliant transfer windows he's been really really backed there with they've got they've got Richarlison in who can play all across the front three so if anything happens to one of the front three you've got you've got Richarlison where everyone was saying Basuma was a was was a good sign I guess a centre-back was maybe the only thing they didn't do but we sat here and were saying Spurs and Arsenal transfer window they've won the transfer window but Tottenham did have a good transfer window they did they lacked they had the very you know a good enough immediate starting 11 it was uh, a lack of strength and depth that was the issue Basuma strengthened the midfield. Then, he, you know, Conte decided he didn't want to play him because he didn't have the tactical discipline to play as a holding midfielder. Richarlison did look bright. Yeah, he hasn't scored, but he's, he's looked bright and he's had his injury issues. Um, and then, you know, Son's drop in form hasn't helped. Yeah, that's been, that's been the more. big one, Son. Hmm. I, I, think, I think I spoke to some of my Spurs sporting friends and after last season, um, I said, if... You know, a team comes in with a big enough offer to sell Son. And, you know, he's, his value is depreciating. It's now completely dropped after the season. Um, and, it, you know, as I said, this new manager's going to come in. It's not going to fix any, everything straight away. You indeed need a project manager to come in, which um, Conte and Mourinho are not. No, let's talk about Brighton a little bit then, Jonathan. I guess the big thing for this for them this summer will be can they hold on to their manager and can they hang on to their to their big players? You've got Sosado who signed a new contract. McAllister has obviously had his World Cup exploits and Matoma just looks absolutely electric down that left hand side. They'll all be linked with moves elsewhere. Do you think they can start if obviously I suppose if they qualify for the Europa League or the Europa Conference League or even the Champions League? that would be a start to perhaps maybe hanging on to some of their players? Well, it's clearly built into their model. I think they could probably afford to lose one of the three. If it's just that they lose all three, that becomes very, very difficult. I mean, we've seen how they've they've cashed in on players um, yeah, such as Trossard already this year, that, that they're not afraid to do that. Um, it depends how good their backup is. And the truth is, we don't really know that until they start to play. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I was at Old Trafford on the end of the season, uh, when Caicedo was was absolutely brilliant, and he was a player I'd never heard of before, and I was sort of thinking, yeah, who is this guy? And he's, you know, he obviously been out on loan. Um, if they've got another Caicedo, well, you can move this Caicedo on and make you sixty, eighty million pound profit, whatever it is. Only they know that. Um, I don't think anybody realised just how good Matoma was suddenly going to be, and he didn't even start the season particularly well. It, it sort of, 
it, it, it's it's post World Cup. He's really exploded. So their 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 recent history is of, of is of identifying talent uh, you know, incredibly effectively and of bringing that through incredibly well. Um, but the, the truth is, with all all that type of club, there comes a point where they they make a couple of mistakes. Of it. You know, they they don't quite find the right talent. Um, and and then yeah, the, the the downward spiral starts, and people like Solly March, for instance, might start to think mm, maybe I should move on, maybe I, I can play European football. But at the minute, it's going great. I you is I don't know. I mean, it depends as well. Caicedo's agent clearly haggled quite hard for him to leave in January. The fact he signed a new contract suggests that you know that that, that relationship has been mended. But it may be that that's just a club saying, look, sign a new contract. We'll let you go in the summer, but by signing a new contract, we've we've pushed your value up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we just don't know that. So, yeah, they they can they can probably afford to lose one of them, maybe two. I think if they lose all three, they're they're probably it's probably going to be difficult for them. McAllister, I think, is the probably the most likely to leave, just because he is a World Cup winner and his his stock is unlike you know his his visibility is unlikely ever to be as high again as it is now while he's playing for Brighton. That you know, he, other clubs think right. We need a midfielder who, who's yeah can hold the ball, pass the ball sensibly. Um, oh, McCarthy's won the World Cup. Let's go and get him. In a year, he might be. Oh yeah, he's that bloke who scored against Eintracht Frankfurt in the Europa League. And it, you know, it, 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 his 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 values begun to diminish. So McAllister might be the one where this is the time to cash in. And for McAllister, that might be the time to 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 to, to make the most of his profile. Then again, McAllister may think, no, I'm actually a really, really good player. This Brighton is going places. I can win the Europa League with Brighton and that will increase my value and my profile even more. It may even be that he just sort of thinks, this is this is fun. I, maybe I could make a little bit more by, by moving on, but I'm quite happy here enjoying it in a, in a football team that's, that's made me as good as I am. I guess the manager think will be will be a big one. The players seem to really like Deserbe, the, the way Adam Lallana talks about Deserbe and he's been around the block. Lallana in terms of managers that, that he's played and you know the way he talks about Deserbe, he sounds like a, a serious coach. He sounds like someone who we should all be paying attention to and someone who may go on eventually and become a really, really class manager, but he's doing an excellent job. At Brighton at the at the moment, it's combined eleven time again. Life comes at you fast. I was gonna say, Jonathan, is it the Brighton team plus Harry Kane? But actually, yeah, Ferguson looks a serious striker as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I've got the Brighton team plus Harry Kane with Ferguson in brackets after Kane, which I will prove by showing you there. I can barely read that, but yes, I believe you. I believe you anyway. You wouldn't know if Benson Cool were fit, then, mm, then maybe he does come. Um, but it's you know, it's interesting as well. Something like Pesuma, who obviously was so good for Brighton last year, is now just feels totally eclipsed by Casado that he's moved on and been forgotten about, and Casado's stepped into his place and is playing brilliantly. Slightly more adventurous player than than Pesuma, but you know he's 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 taken over that role and Gross has dropped a bit deeper to cover it, and it's working really well. Combined eleven, please, Ben. Yeah, so we would have Jason Steele in goal, but uh, <clears throat> he hasn't, he's only made five appearances, so. Uh, Brighton are the dominant team. They've got six players. Tottenham's five. We've got Hugo Lloris in goal. Uh, I've snuck in Pascal Gross at right back. Centre back pairing of Romero and Dyer and Estupinan at left back. Midfield three of McAllister, Saiseda, and Hoiberg. And then a front three of March, Kane, and Matoma. Nice. Nice team. Jonathan, thoughts? I, I guess. I mean, it, 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 
I, I, these parameters need to be set more strictly. I, are, are we are we picking on performance over the season, or are we picking for a game that we played on Saturday? Because if it's over the season, you know, I mean, Hoiberg's had a decent season. Um, I mean, Romero is getting nowhere near my side, I'm afraid. So Martin came up with this concept many years ago, but he never really explained it to us. A bit slapdash. From, mm. from should, we just, should we just blame Martin? I think. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, ha- I'm happy with that. I'm happy to, right. happy to blame Martin for for most things. Okay, <laughs> then let's have a let's have a score prediction then. Uh, Tottenham Brighton, Jonathan. One one. One one. I will go for I know, Tottenham one Brighton two. Ben. Uh, Brighton to win one nil. Brighton to win one nil last season, didn't they? Like Trossard goal. Uh, goal. It was last season, yeah, back in yeah. April last year. So it was around this time last year. Yeah, I remember that. Um, let's talk about Premier League in general, Jonathan, and the sacking situation that that's going on at, at the moment. Obviously, Spurs looking looking for a new manager, Chelsea looking for a new manager, Leicester looking for a new manager. I mean, at the moment, there's talk of Leicester hiring Martin O'Neill back, and then I believe the favourites for the Chelsea jobs at the moment are Frank Lampard, Antonio Conte, Glenn Hoddle, and Rude Hullet. So, what what do you think <laughs> on that? Look, I'm never against a bit of nineties revivalism. I feel a lot more a lot more comfortable in nineties than I do now. You know, get get Graham Soonis back at uh, back at Liverpool, Mike Walker back at Norwich, Peter Reid back at Sunderland. We, we can all get behind that, but it's it's very odd. I mean, I, I, I think two things have come together here. So, so one is we're not actually as far through the season as it feels like we are. They know normally you're getting up to Easter, you're into April, and it's really right near the end of the season. We're only three quarters of the way through. It's still about a quarter of the season to go. So the sackings are being made now, the equivalent of sackings being made sort of beginning of March in normal circumstances. But there have been four sackings since the end of February. That's only ever happened once before in Premier League history. Um We've had 13 managers leave their jobs this season in the Premier League. There's never been more than 10 before. And I, I think that suggests a new, uh, an increased willingness on the part of clubs to get rid of managers, that managers become uh, disposable. Um, and I, th- I think you often see it with teams threatened by relegation at this stage that they think, right, we've got to do something. We're in a rut. We've got to do something to jerk us out of the rut. What can we do? And the easiest thing is to sack a manager. But I think you're also seeing that yeah, football, I think you can sort of divide football into three phases. So you've got the first sort of 90 years, say, from 1860 to 1950. I mean, there's obviously slight exceptions and various points, but where the most important people were the players, the, the captain or the dominant player would be the person who defined the side. Then sort of 1950 through to, say, 2000, it was the manager, maybe slightly after 2000. And, and again, you know, some managers still, you know, Guardiola clearly defines Manchester City. So there are, you know, there are exceptions. But really, since Abramovich arrived at Chelsea, it's the club owner who defines the club. So I mean, I remember, you know, in the northeast in the eighties, when yeah, Sunderland and Newcastle both sacked hundreds of managers, and so fans eventually turned on the board. But the the chant was always sack the board. Nobody actually knew who Tom Cowie or Gordon McKeague were. They were these vague, distant, grey-faced figures. Whereas now everybody knows who Todd Bowley is, or who John W. Henry is, or who the Glazers are, um, who. You know, Amanda Staveley and the Saudi Public Investment Fund are. So, yeah, I think we've entered an era where the club owner or, or chairman, you know, Daniel Levy, is sort of the, the man who defines modern Tottenham, have become more important than the manager. The manager becomes just somebody you, you can you can get rid of when you need to change things. So, I think that's what's going on. But for for three clubs to sack the managers and basically decide no manager is better than any manager, 
is yeah. oh, sorry, no manager's better than this specific manager. I think that's a very odd thing. Um, well, yeah, you look at you know when Bayern got rid of Nagelsmann, they were very ruthless about it. That they 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 rang up Tuchel first. Are you going to take it before they told Nagelsmann they were getting rid of him? And that was why the story leaked, and that was why Nagelsmann found out supposedly through the press rather than being told by Bayern, because it leaked from Tuchel's side. He was taking the Bayern job. But that's the way to do it. You, you, you want to find a, somebody to step in, even if it's only an interim manager. So it's it's very odd now that we've got... Uh, oh, Potter's got to go. I mean, why, why does Potter have to go after a defeat to Aston Villa? You know, they, they'd made one, three the and drawn one. The shame. Well, yeah, but it, it's... <laughs> I mean, it, it, losing to, I don't know, Southampton or Bournemouth or a team right at the bottom at home, maybe that is shameful. You do think... Well, they did, they did lose 1-0 so to Southampton. At home. Yeah, but but they'd they'd after that they'd they'd won three in a row and then they'd drawn against Everton in a game where they you know they had the better of it. So you could see things were turning around. Why that one game is suddenly what makes you decide, right, he's got to go now. It might be the game that makes you think, right, this isn't going forwards. We'll we'll look at our options. But to say, right, he's gone, and they go, right, oh, what we're we gonna do. And then yeah, you know, Bruno takes over. Um who I have to say, I only realised a couple of days ago that the Bruno Santor is the Bruno who used to play for Brighton. I didn't realise they were the same person because he was never called Bruno Santor. When well, he was I, yeah, I was. I knew Bruno was at Chelsea coming from the Brighton coaches having a gun to Chelsea. But when I saw Bruno Santor or whatever his name is, said oh, I did have to Google who that was to make sure it was the, the same person. Yeah, um, and you know he gets one game where they play all right but don't score goals as, as they've been doing on the pot. And now, all oh, right, we need to bring in an interim, and they you know they they're going back through Chelsea's back catalogue of managers. Um, I mean, yeah, look like that Lampard. though. You choose between Lampard and Conte. Oh, they're, they're exactly the same type of them, to well. And also, why would I mean, maybe Conte just sort of thinks it's a chance to win the Champions League. I mean, his record in the year was so bad that maybe this is the only way he's ever going to get a crack at it. But it's a that's a it's yeah, it's a very, very strange thing. You just thought they could have, I mean, especially Lampard, they could have got lined up way in advance, said to a little prank. If we do sack Potter, can you just fill in the end of the season? Uh, you know, I, I don't know why why this is being done now. And Leicester, similarly, you know, um, okay, they've had a terrible run. Losing a Palace is is a bad result in terms of relegation uh, battle. But would you not have lined up somebody to come in? Um, yeah, I mean, Adam Sadler who took over. He's obviously very highly rated. He's brought in there by uh, by Pearson. But and Claude Puel promoted him to first team, team coach. So there's a series of you know, Ranieri kept him on. Uh, Shakespeare kept him on. He's, he's obviously well regarded. He's, he's, um, he's certainly housework with Northern Ireland. I don't know if he's still there because he's brought in by Barraclough at Northern Ireland. But you know he's he's clearly got in coaching circles a very very good reputation. So, so okay, maybe he is the man to step in. But then you're saying, oh, well, actually no, we need to bring in Martin O'Neill. We're not going to trust trust him to do it. It just feels just a mess. I, 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 it's. It's not the getting rid of the managers, getting rid of the managers without an alternative at this stage of a season. That I think is very strange. Yeah, the whole, whole, whole Premier League managerial way of doing things at the moment does seem a little strange. It's been an odd week. I mean, I was expecting to wake up this morning and David Moyes had been sacked from West Ham in all honesty after last night. Well, that's very possible, well, isn't it? You know, yeah, 13 gone. And um, I, you know, I know Cooper's been told his, you know, he's going to stay in the job. But if they lose the next couple... It wouldn't surprise me if he's gone. I think Moyes is on very thin ice now, so it could easily be 15 by the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, I was 
felt like I was a bit of a curse because I went to Leicester and Forest to press conferences la- last week, working for another company, and Rogers promptly got the boot, and then I thought Cooper was going to get the boot as well. So interacting with me seems to be a seems to be a managerial career finisher at, at the moment. What should do, we talk about? Do you want to go to Arsenal then? In that case, <laughs> maybe say how that plans out. <laughs> I don't think I'll go. I think I'm uh, only Midlands. I think I'm, str- I'm I'm strictly Midlands. I think it must be the accent. But but what Jonathan was talking <laughs> as well, I, I was obviously I can see you on the screen. I realised that you look a bit like Roberto De Zerbi wearing Nigel Clough's clothes. Not Nigel Clough, Brian, Brian Clough's clothes. Ruin the gag. Ruin the glab, gag by getting the wrong Clough. But you do look a bit like De Zerbi. But... I'll take that. It's better than what I've been when I like, shave my head and Martin call me Danny Mills. So <laughs> yeah, I would but... much rather prefer Roberto De Zerbi than Danny Mills. Jonathan, are you, are you seeing that? Bit of de- touch of the deserves for Ben. Oh yeah, no, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just can't just can't to me whilst whilst we were talking. It's very nice. Yeah, be interesting to see what happens with Chelsea, which ex-manager they go for. Why aren't Tottenham going down the the ex-manager route that everyone else is is going down? Because Tottenham's ex-managers are all terrible. I mean, we'll probably end up with Tactics Tim back in charge and that is something that I am... Yeah, exactly. So they're all awful. Um, I wouldn't even take Pochettino back, to be perfectly candid. Um, I think that will tarnish his reputation. I think it will end in tears and I don't think that would be a wise move. I think Tottenham need basically a, a big refresh. I think Pochettino going back for the desire for nostalgia and a chance to kind of right his wrong, not right his wrong, so to speak, but to take them back to where, you know, they were under him during, you know, those two, those two seasons where they finished well, well within a title race, they finished second to Chelsea I think in 2017-18. Um, I just don't think Pochettino returning would be a good move for Tottenham. Um, I think they just need a big refresh. It's an argument Pochettino is a good fit for Chelsea in terms of all the young players that, that they've signed, but I'm not sure he'd he'd risk going there at, at the moment. Anyway, we've we've talked about the managers now. <laughs> Frankly, no one knows what's going on at the <laughs> moment. Absolutely bizarre, stepping in a time machine and, and waiting for managers to be appointed at the moment. Let's finish, as we always do, with the just a minute section, and it's strictly going to have to be a minute because we've, we've overran talking about other things this week. Jonathan, you've got Manchester... I'm presuming it's Manchester United against Everton. Just in the running order is United v Everton. Well, I'm, I'm playing each other this weekend. That's a preview I've done. So let, let, let's stick with that. Yeah, I was really surprised. I was surprised by two things. I was surprised by how bad Manchester United were losing to Newcastle last Sunday, which is their second dreadful away performance in, in, in fairly quick succession against big sides, having you know, had the 7-0 defeated at Liverpool. But I was also surprised by the by the backlash of people going, oh, yeah, the Ten Hag revolution hasn't really gone anywhere. It's so dependent on Casemiro. I mean, they, they clearly are still improving. Uh, there's still work to be done. But they're up to fourth. The three points clear with Spurs for the game in hand. Before the, um, uh, before the Liverpool game, they'd only lost two of the previous 18. That was the defeat at Arsenal. Before that, they'd won nine and drawn one of the previous 10. So apart from the three defeats to you know, other top four sides, they've been doing pretty well. Um, Everton, uh, 14 points from nine under Dyche, uh, three clean sheets in that time, clearly have improved, Dekiri suspended, uh, running out of time, so 2-0 to United. 2-0 Manchester United, I'll go 1-0 Manchester United. Deserby, what are you predicting? <laughs> uh, 2-0 Man United. 2-0 to Manchester United. Ben, your first game is Leicester v Bournemouth, That's a, that is a huge game. Yeah, big game, the relegation battle. Uh, Leicester didn't get a new manager bounce following Brendan Rodgers' dismissal earlier this week as they fell to a 2-1 loss to Aston Villa at the King Power on Tuesday night to extend their winners' run to seven matches. 
Then our two points off safety ahead of Saturday's massive relegation six-pointer. Adam Sadler took charge of the Fox in midweek and at the time of recording will remain at the King Power Helm to face off to, uh, to face the Cherries. He does so without suspending Keenan Dewsbury Hall while Yuri Tielemans, James Justin and Ryan Bertram remain injured. Johnny, Devins, Johnny Evans could return for the side, however. Uh, Bournemouth occupy another relegation spot following their 2-0 loss to Brighton midweek, albeit they are stuck in the bottom three on goal difference only. They've lost 10 of their 14 away league matches this season and collected just eight points on their travels. Gary Nils hope, will hope to have Marcos Tenesi available for selection at Leicester, but does remain without injured pair Ryan Fredericks and Junior Stanislas. Bournemouth beat Leicester in the reverse fixture in October, and they should have what it takes to secure a result against this outsourced Foxes outfit. I think it'll finish 1-0. One 1-0. All. One all. I'm going to go 1-0 to Leicester. Jonathan? Yeah, 1-0 to Leicester. 1-0 to Leicester. Another huge relegation, six points of Wolves and Chelsea, both in the mire. That's your next game, Jonathan. <laughs> I mean, Chelsea kind of are lucky that there's that nine-point gap because they have been playing... Well, yeah, I mean, they have played 10 things around recently, but uh, let's start with Wolves, uh, a point above the relegation zone. Uh, they did improve, definitely. I think they are definitely better under Lopetegui, but they've only won one of the last seven. Um, they seem to have a real sense that referees are against them now, which you saw particularly that, that defeat to Leeds. Um the, the you know that that win in the last seven was uh, so those, those, but before that last seven they they won two in a row the game against Liverpool and the the win with ten men at Southampton which is when they seemed safe uh, Johnny's still suspended from that Leeds game uh, Ruben Neves suspended for this game as well he's obviously a huge loss they've got the usual injuries up front goals a big problem for them Chelsea we we've talked about a bit with the, the managerial situation. But they've only actually lost one of the last six. The problem is that inability, on, ongoing inability to score goals. Thiago Silva still out, as for the Quetta, Broyo and Aubameyang. It was 3-0 to Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. I think they'll win again, but probably only 1-0. I'm going to go for 1-1, one, one. Ben. 1-1 one, one as well. 1-1 one, one as well. Ben, your next game is Brentford against Newcastle. As Jonathan knows, Ivan Tony coming up against his old team. Yeah, well, Brentford have hit a bit of a rough patch of form of late and a 1-0 midweek loss to Manchester United extended their winners run to three matches. And they've actually now just won one of their last five and dropped to ninth. Uh, Thomas Frank will hope to have uh, Vitaly Janelt and Frank Onyeka available for selection this weekend. But Christopher Gere and Keane, Lewis Potter continue to miss out for the Bees as they seek to give their Europe pursuit of European football shot in the arm. Newcastle under a resounding 5-1 win over West Ham on Wednesday night to extend their winning run to four games. Richie left the Magpies in third heading to the weekend's action, albeit a goal difference, but crucially three points clear of Tottenham in fourth. Uh, Joe Willock was fit enough for the bench in midweek. Eddie Howe remains without Miguel Almiron and Emil Kraft due to injury. Newcastle are the third best away record in Premier League this season, though Brentford have lost just one of their 14 home league games uh, in 22-23. Given the good form, however, I feel like Newcastle may edge this one 2-1. 1-0 Newcastle. 1-0 Newcastle. I'm going to go 2-2. Jonathan, you have yet another Marlon Harewood derby. It's Villa against Forest. So Cooper confirmed his position this week, which I, I think is probably the right decision, but... After that very good run where they seem to have pulled away from the drop zone, they haven't won any of the last eight, uh, which has left them fourth bottom. They defeated Leeds on Tuesday. means that in that run of eight games, they've only taken three points. Scoring goals are a big problem for them. the last 11 games. They've only scored eight times. They've got huge issues as well away from home. Only six points all season. They've come away. Uh, Villa, completely different side under Emery to what they were under Gerrard. Uh, they've taken 16 points in the last six games. Um They've got the third best form in the league behind only Arsenal and City since Emery took over, uh, up to seventh, and probably should be dreaming of, of Europa League qualification now. Uh, Forrest will be without Chris Wood, which obviously doesn't help their goal scoring issues. Very reliant on Brennan Johnson. Um, uh, Coutinho and Cash out for Villa. 
Uh, and there's a doubt over a player whose name I can't read, starts with a C. Who's that likely to be? Kamara. But with Kamara, him. Kamara. Um, it's 1 1 at the city ground, I think, but we'll win this 1 0. Yeah, that 1 1 at the city ground was under Steven Gerrard. It was absolutely turgid. I think Villa will win 2 1. Ben? 2 0 to Villa. 2 0 to Villa. Ben, you've got Southampton against Manchester City. Southampton suffered a blow in their bid to beat the drop as they fell to 1-0 loss at relegation rivals West Ham on Sunday. They remain at the foot of the table, four points from safety a time running out to turn their fortunes around. Uh, defenders Valentina Livramento and Armel Belakopchat are set to return later this month, while Che Adams and Mohamed Salisu should be fit to feature against Manchester City, but Juan Larios misses out. Saints already beaten City at St Mary's this season. Repeat will be welcomed with open arms. City kept up the pressure on league leaders Arsenal as they trounced uh, Liverpool 4-1 on Saturday. They've won four on the trot and six of the last seven, and they need to keep up this form to capitalise on any possible slip-up by the Gunners. Phil Foden has confirmed absentee, having had his appendix removed during the international break, and Erling Haaland has returned to training, uh, but whether he starts ahead of Julian Alvarez remains to be seen. Nevertheless, City have what it takes to absolutely batter Southampton. I think they'll win 4-1. This season is absolutely mad that Nathan Jones is Southampton, the fittest man on the planet, beat. That Man City side early <laughs> on in the season. What, what on earth has this season been? That Tuchel Conte handshake feels like it was about 10 years ago and that was at the start mm. of this season. Uh, I will go for 2-0 to Manchester City. Jonathan? Uh, also 2-0 to Manchester City. 2-0 to Manchester City. And your final game in the just a minute section is a London derby, Jonathan. It's Fulham v West Ham. I mean, sorry, Tuchel Conte, that's... Could happen again, couldn't it, in the Champions League if if Conte comes in as Chelsea assistant, as Chelsea interim, which would be could, would be nice to could, see. It, it It'd be, be a lovely way mm. to wrap up the season. We began with a Tuchel Conte handshake gate, mm. and we could end in with it. Where we'll, 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 we'll meet, they meet in the um, in the semi final, wouldn't they? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Mm. a nice a nice hug in the centre circle. So they, they could even do it. At Stamford Bridge, the ever seen the previous handshake. Oh, it would it be marvellous, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Fulham v West Ham, um, which is a repeat of the 1975 FA Cup final, although I suspect a different result this time. Uh, even though Fulham um, have now lost four in a row, uh, that that meltdown at Old Trafford really has has cost them. They're down a tenth, and you start to suspect that Europe is slipping through their grasp. Uh, there's still a huge gulf between them and the, the relegation places. So it's still been a very good season for them, but uh, they are becoming the, the, the you know lonely in mid in mid table. Mitrovic obviously still suspended. Um, William should return. Kazawa and Nelson Scabano are out. Uh, West Ham in in big trouble. They'd had no defeat in four before getting hammered by Newcastle, but two of those games were in the Conference League. Um, they've taken twelve points from the last nine in the Premier League. Uh, and you do feel that, that Moyes now is under real pressure. Skamaka's their only injury. Uh, they've only taken six points away from home. The same record as Forrest, which is the worst in the in the division. Uh, West Ham won 3-1 at the London Stadium back in October, but I think Fulham will win this 1-0. I think Fulham will win 2-1. You have to tell us what the score was in that FA Cup final in the 70s, because unfortunately I don't know. Oh, it was 2-0 to West Ham. 2-0 to West Ham. I'll just go for that. Why not? Jonathan said it's not going to happen. I'll go for 2-0 to West Ham because the predictions don't matter. Anyway, as, as I've said earlier on, uh, Leeds Palace to finish for you, Ben. Yeah, 2-1 win over rivals. Nottingham Forest on Tuesday night saw Leeds reach the dizzying heights of 13th and open up a two-point gap between themselves in the relegation zone. Uh, the Yorkshire side have won two of their last three, while their only defeat in the last four came at league leaders Arsenal. Javi Grasso is, is without Max Werber, uh, Stuart Dallas, Adam Forshaw and Tyrone for Sunday's welcome Crystal Palace. 
But Wilfred Nonto was fit enough for the bench against Forrest, having missed the defeat at Arsenal. Uh, Crystal Palace ended a 12-game winless run with a hard-fought 2-1 over relegation rivals Leicester at the weekend, with Sean Philippe Mateta bagging a late winner at Selhurst Park to send the Eagles into 12th. Uh, they haven't won away from home since New Year's Eve, six games ago when they beat Bournemouth, however. Uh, Wilfred Zaha misses out for Palace, having sustained a groin injury against Leicester, while Roy Hodgson will hope to have Christopher Richards and Nathan Ferguson available in some capacity. Uh, Mateta may lead the charge at Leeds after his goal off the bench against the Foxes, as Palace looks to secure a first win at Ellen Road since 2006. Uh, I don't think they'll get it, and I think Leeds will win 2 1. I'm going to go for 3 3. Jonathan? Uh, one, <laughs> well, well, that, that could happen. That could, that's, that's, it, wasn't, it wasn't like I said, 7 7. 3 3 3 could happen. It, yeah, uh, 1 0 to Leeds. No, 3 3 is one of the scores that can happen in a game of football. That is true. So good 7 7. So. You, uh, you wait till it's 3 3 at the week. I'm going to come on this podcast next week. If it's 3 3. I will buy you an Aston Villa shirt. I don't, I don't want one. <laughs> no, okay, okay, fair enough. All right, no, 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 no it's done now. No, 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 it's done now. Can we, can we say a football shirt? A, a football shirt in general? Just, you know, what? I'm <laughs> terrible. I always, mean, I always mean to change the shirts behind me for this podcast, but to, to more neutral ones like foreign <laughs> team shirts that I haven't. I always forget to do it, and then it just sits there all, all the way through the show. The Villa shirts in the background. The nineties feel this week, which does it's come kind of, it's kind of relevant isn't it that does do us for this week thanks ever so much for tuning in and thanks to the chaps for joining me as well do subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on and give the video a like and a comment as well if you have enjoyed it enjoy all the football at the weekend stay safe